Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deacon. On the show today, uh, the latest version of the online safety bill has been revealed. We'll discuss Nadine Dorries update and what it means for press freedoms. Amazon launches live radio app AMP. Will they run the airwaves? Uh, also on the programme, Helen Saltzman uh, and Rayan Rahman share their tips for making an award-winning podcast ahead of the British Podcast Awards. And in the Media Quiz, we'll find out which media favourites are saying a fond farewell. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In this week's news, Russia's state TV is crumbling from within with a plethora of staff resignations. Uh, but one woman in particular, Marina Ovshikanikova, captured the hearts of viewers with her extraordinary anti-war protest and a handmade sign. Um, someone else without access to a set, Chris Cuomo, is seeking $125 million uh, from CNN over alleged wrongful termination after helping his brother, former New York Mayor Andrew Cuomo, respond to sexual harassment allegations. And finally, a fire broke out on a set at Pinewood Studios on the Richard Attenborough stage this week during the filming of the new Snow White film. Luckily, everyone was safe and sound as filming hadn't started yet. Now, joining me to talk through some of the week's media headlines is a man who's never been tricked to eat a poison apple. It's Times Radio presenter, a uh, person who's currently uh, on his stand-up tour and Times columnist, Matt Chorley. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Just check. You, you haven't ever eaten a poison apple. That is correct, right? No. Although my, I'm not going to comment on my pa- pa- past living arrangements. Excellent. Uh, now, you covered a huge moment this week with Nazanin Zaghari Radcliffe uh, and Anusha Azuri finally returned to the UK. I think you spoke to Lim Jones, who's uh, Richard Radcliffe's brother-in-law on your programme, just as kind of the story broke. Um, I mean, it's quite a resolution for something that's taken ages to sort out, isn't it? It has, and it's one of those stories as well. It's sort of it, it's taken six years, and yet at the last, at the very end, it all happened so quickly. Um, uh, we just just as we were going on air at just after ten, the news started coming through that perhaps they were on the way to the airport, and then basically during the course of the show, these sort of tiny granules. It was a perfect sort of breaking news story. If you like these tiny granules of information were coming through. Tulip Sadiq. Uh, Nazanin's local MP was sort of tweeting updates. We were speaking to members of the family. Yeah, and actually, it was a, it was a classic example of always save your numbers because last when it was in November when Richard Ratcliffe was uh, was on hunger strike, and I went down and spoke to him. But I, I got chatting to Lim, who, like you said, was his uh, his sister's husband, and got his number. So and just saved it. And so as soon as the news broke, the first thing I did was call called Lim during a a news break and just said, "Can you come on?" 
Uh, and, and yeah, so it's a good tip. Always save every number because you never know <laughs> when you're going to need it. Uh, good advice. Uh, also joining us is the marvellous Professor Liz Howell. Uh, Liz, you just released a new murder mystery uh, book this week. I love the fact that the protagonist seems to be a sort of sleuth slash podcast producer. Uh, there's hope for us all yet. What 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 what's the book about? Well, it's it's the fourth in a series of murder mysteries that I started writing about ten eleven years ago. Um, And they're what you call cosy mysteries, which is quite funny, really, as if murder could ever be cosy. But people like murder mysteries because in the end, right prevails and normality is there again. So that's what they like about the way that these things turn out. So the, the protagonist, she's called Susie Spencer, and she started out as a reality TV producer. So it's sort of, you know, to some extent is in parallel with my own career. But now she's going in for podcasts in her locality. So in the next one, they're going to find a body in a wheelie bin while she's doing a podcast. So just watch out. Is this the um, the life you always wanted to lead? Yeah, I'd really like to do podcasts in the locality. My, my brother is a sort of eco-journalist in, in Glasgow, and he's always telling me he's the only real journalist in the family. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Well, um, on to the story shaking up uh, the industry this week. Uh, The EU Commission's opened a formal investigation to look at whether Google and Meta have breached competition rules uh, with their online advertising services. Uh, Matt, I mean, the EU, like um, uh, getting the the, the big tech co's in their sites, Um, why are they in trouble now? I think I think essentially politicians have been on a very long journey. There was a time when politicians were very frightened about saying anything about tech companies, lest they look like they were dad dancing with the the guys in skinny jeans and um, space hoppers and and all that. And the you know the the number of people who flocked to Silicon Valley to to hoping that a bit of that cool Californian stardust would rub off on them. And the internet and these guys were going to solve all of our problems. And I think we've been on a very long journey now uh, to the point where there there is a recognition that actually they need. To, to be like every other industry there need to be checks and balances and there needs to be control on them of or regulation of one sort or another i mean i, I do think that uh regulators and politicians coming to this issue now particularly around advertising and the the ability of publishers to make a living uh it is quite late in the day for that i mean various publishers have have gone you know particularly local local papers and uh, and national papers have really struggled at various times because all of the so much of the um, advertising revenue was going to to Google and Facebook. So, I mean, it's a good thing that they're looking at it now. I just sort of would possibly rather they'd done it a few years ago. I mean, fa- Facebook. What what they're saying is that Facebook got kind of preferential ad rates for agreeing not to compete with Google and build like their own rival system. I mean, it's sort of mad, isn't it that. They're, they're already the most successful people in this space. As you say, publishers um, are kind of scrapping around for pennies while, while they're scooping up the pounds. I mean, for them at the top to go, and even with all of that, let's do a, let's do a side deal. I mean, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty harsh, isn't it? I think so. And I think it's also slightly points to the culture of they still think in many ways they're the plucky upstarts standing up to the big old boys and that's just not the case anymore. You know, they are some of the biggest, not just players in the media, but 
just biggest businesses on the planet. But they still have this slight idea that the rules don't quite apply to them and they can, uh, you know, they need to cut corners and do deals because they need to stand up to the other, you know, while uh, actually they're, they're, the, the, the people they think they're in uh, competition with are struggling to survive in the face of that. Uh, well, also, Meta was fined $90 million uh, this week for failing to prevent uh, data breaches on Facebook back in 2018. Um, Liz, you know, with, with all this, uh, all these investigations and, you know, cases that, that, that they lose pretty regularly around um, data breaches, do you think fines are, are something that's effective at, at keeping the tech giants in line? Well, I think that if they were huge enough and if they were imposed enough, yes. I'm not sure I entirely agree with Matt. I know exactly what it's getting at, but I don't think it's that they think they're the plucky little upstarts. I think they're just crazed about the amount of power that they can accumulate. And it, it's a, I hate to say that it's sort of Putin-esque and that would be deeply offensive, wouldn't it? But there is a sense that they just go on and on gathering more power, more money and in a sort of uncontrolled way. And it, it's a result, I think, of to some extent, the, the US enterprise and entrepreneurial society, and we, we've gone along with that. And you're absolutely right, there's been this fear in the past of ever standing up to them because you wouldn't look cool, which is pathetic, really. But if you look at the stories that we, we're looking at today, almost all of them are about publishing, in a sense. They're almost all about content provision and the power that comes with content provision. And we are we have got to face the fact that these people have got unprecedented power and that that power needs to be checked and it's very tough on governments and you get what looks like almost petty irritation or or a sort of small war by the eu taking on the tech companies but i really do believe someone's got to do it and this is the beginning of it but it's you, you look at this deal and it's called jedi blue you know, even the terminology they use is like, oh, we're so, we're so cool, we're so trendy, you know, we're harking back to the Jedi, all this sort of stuff. And it, everything about it is slightly irritatingly image conscious at the same time as, as garnering all this money. I do, I do find it difficult. I personally don't like social media and have never done it, which perhaps says a lot about me, not about social media. But it, 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 there's something about the accumulation of power which I find deeply disturbing. Well, close to home, the tech giants uh, are also under the hammer from Culture Secretary Nadine Dorries, who revealed the latest version of the online safety bill, uh, which I was looking it up and it says it's designed to protect children, tackle illegal activity and uphold their stated terms and conditions. Important to get the T's and C's in there. Um, I mean, the bill seems to have become a bit of a catch-all for any worries about the internet. I mean, has this gone like completely the other direction? And Nadine turned up at Microsoft this week asking when it would get rid of its algorithms, which I'm not entirely sure is um, uh, the, what you want to hear from from your your culture secretaries in charge of. Oh come on, the there is there, there is this. I got to stop you there. There is this. Let's get Nadine Doris. She's thick attitude about there and you know she's quite a sharp person she's a scouse woman that writes novels so I'm bound to like her aren't I um, in that sense I mean on, <laughs> on the surface anyway but I do think you know that sort of making fun of her isn't isn't really very helpful I I've looked into this bill to some extent and and on the whole well, I just, think just, it's doing just, the right thing and going that. in I, the right I, direction I think that's fair enough to say don't make fun of her but she does give us lots of things to make fun of her about and she doesn't always seem particularly on her brief. Liz, I'm not sure you should come and see my stand-up show in that case. <laughs> Do you think you'd be a rival for Nadine then, Matt? She's, there's quite a lot of Nadine Doris material in my stand-up show because she provides it. You know, it's, it's, it's quite often just literally the stuff she says and does. And I think part of the problem is maybe she hasn't been in the job hugely long 
And this is an enormous piece of work. And actually, I think, um, Matt, you're right. It's become, a, you know, it's, in Westminster, they call it a Christmas tree bill where anyone can come along and hang their bauble on it. And it's, you know, we want to do something about this thing. We want to do something about that thing. Some of it's a bit contradictory. Some of it's creating still loopholes. There's doubts about whether some of it is going. I think everyone almost universally supports the broad intention of trying to improve safety and accountability online. But how do you do that when you've got to sit down and write it in black and white in a law? And that's the, that's the big question and whether or not enough work has been done on that to make it make it do the thing that Nadine but, and the rest of the government wanted to. But, you, you know, in your own newspaper, Matt, um, in The Times, there was a really good leading article yesterday about this. And it was saying it is going in the right direction and it is doing the right thing. It may well have to be revised. The law is not ever completely final. You can revise the law and you can work from something like this bill. It is great that they're getting thus far. It's really important in terms of this sort of um, the things that are happening to young people who are self-harming and the, the girl who committed suicide and the, the coroner's court being delayed forever because they can't get the material out of meta and so on. And so I think that we've got to start with this and we've got to start somewhere. It's not just Nadine Doris and, and a crazy personal bill, is it? I mean, there's a whole civil service behind this. And the reason that people like Christmas tree bills is because they want to hang their baubles on them. You know, these bills are yeah. important and they get they get the ball rolling, the baubles rolling. So I think it's a, a, I think it's almost entirely a good thing. You can argue that it could lead to the crushing of freedom of speech and so on. And you could argue that it would lead to the sort of mocking your own homework thing of the giant tech people and that they become the censors. And that's also terrifying. But you've got to start somewhere. And this is the place to start, I think. Yeah. And I, th- I think actually that that that's starting somewhere. The fact they've started this is. The most significant thing about the bill is it's a major piece of legislation regulating tech firms. And that crosses the Rubicon. And, you know, what comes next? If there is a loophole or, you know, and because tech basically develops faster than legislation does, uh, there will be other things that come along which this doesn't cover. But they've crossed the line now. And the, the willingness of Westminster politicians to do this is probably the most significant part of the bill. Well, it goes, it goes further. It goes further than it has in the past, as it kind of touches on things that are legal but harmful, um, sort of content such oh. as um, exposure to self-harm, harassment, eating disorders, those sorts of things. But there is a concern as well, isn't there, that it could result in some legitimate censorship of the press as well, whether it gets kind of caught up in in tech companies removing things. Matt, should the press be worried or are they just having a moan? It's difficult because it, it there's got, the word could in your question is doing a lot of heavy lifting. And, and uh, uh, you know, in the bill will have to go through Parliament and it may be tweaked and amended. Um, and then to some extent, it will be tested probably in court. And that's the, the, the big question is that if is there something which is in the bill designed to stop people sharing self-harm videos uh, on instagram could somehow that be used to stop a magazine or a website publishing so you know, that, that that's the and you're, you're right there's a there's a there's a line there that the the and i suppose you know when you, the trouble is once you're starting to talk about causing harm intending harm um uh, the risk of harm you know they are Quite a lot harm is often in the eye of the beholder. It's a very difficult thing to sort of nail down in in law as well. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a question that if some if a, a newspaper published a, a story about self harm, it could get the and then put it on Twitter. Um, that link and that story could be removed from social media because it hits the the rules about about promoting self harm. Um, do you think that's an issue, Liz, or actually is this an edge case? Well, I think there's, I, I just to go back on what I said about Meta and providing material for this coroner's inquest and so on, they, they have made a very robust, um, not a defence, that's not fair, but, but an explanation of their position, which it does seem very credible. But in fact, the fact that they're making that sort of explanation now, I think, is, a, is a very much a step in the right direction. And I appreciate that. When you talk about freedom of the press, this bill, I'm just again reading this the bill exempts from regulation online content from recognized media companies so if you're already say a public service broadcaster or you have an ofcom license and the online companies then repeat material that you've said then you are protected from this bill because you're already an established media company so freedom of the press is actually enshrined in this bill um, it, it, and again, as Matt says, the, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating and it'll be the court cases and the things that, are, that, that come up subsequently. But there is no, there's no attempt in this bill to muffle the press. It's not like the police bill where everyone was terrified that you wouldn't be able to go out and protest outside your kid's school. It's not like that. I think it's a much more sensible bill. I mean, the other thing as well, which is worth pointing out, which is not always a hugely popular uh, position, like, is the, the traditional mainstream media, TV, radio newspapers websites are incredibly responsible these days particularly with things like reporting on suicide you know often including details of the samaritans and that sort of thing you know i think you know that's not probably not always been the case you know if you go back in the past and particularly sort of the tabloid end but these days the sort of gratuitous reporting and so on yeah yeah there was a sea change about i would think 10 12 years ago and it changed completely from the days when people were up trees trying to get pictures of victims and so on it it's all it's all changed the attitude but I, I think personally I think by and large this is a good thing um, and that we should perhaps be more supportive of it than critical of it and wait to see how the legislation pans out and how the cases happen well we'll, we'll see what baubles finally uh, stay on the Christmas tree uh, in the coming weeks and to our deep dive this week, are you a budding podcaster? Well, the British Podcast Awards is currently open for entries. Um, I spoke to seasoned judge, the illusionist creator, Helen Zaltzman, and previous award winner, Rahan Rahman, uh, to talk about what it takes to put together an award-winning entry. I want to hear some personality because I think no matter what a podcast is about, the listeners are gravitating towards it because they like the people on it or because they want to be in a particular mood because some shows don't have like a regular host or something but people are going for a particular emotional state so I want to feel that and I want to know what the purpose is of the show the show doesn't have to be like of fundamental importance but if the purpose is to be light and funny I need to know what that is like it's important to me as a judge not to be like is this show for me because most shows shouldn't be for me. I'm one person, but I'm just uh, looking to see if it fulfills what it's purporting to be and whether it's making good use of the listener's time. And last year, Vent, which was the big winner, that came up in one of my categories. And it really stood out to me because the presenter on that episode was so interesting to listen to. It was mostly footage of her doing interviews and the interviews were brilliant. And the purpose of the show and the specific episode had been clearly explained. So I thought, oh, this is a really good show that is also doing something useful. And it's really fulfilling 
its own purpose well. But I think like sound design to me is of secondary importance to what the content is, because lots of shows don't necessarily need sound design. And I think sound design that is great, but with blah content is not going to be a winner for me. Whereas something that has like slightly bad sound design is not ideal, but if the content's interesting, it can overcome that. Helen, they're talking about kind of content and striking material. Rayhan, you are the producer, producer of Brown Girls Do It Too. When you've got a blank piece of paper, where do you start when you're putting together your entry? I think one of the things that you you have to do when putting together your entry is almost think about what your podcast is about and why your podcast is important and why you're doing your podcast. You should know what the USP of your podcast is. So what are you doing that other people aren't necessarily doing? And you have to highlight that in your entry. With Brand Girls Do It Too, it was quite easy, I think, because there aren't many podcasts of brown Asian women talking about their sex lives to the extent that those girls in the podcast did, Poppy and Rabina and Roya. So that was the USP. And I made sure that that was in there in my entry in the audio. So when I was constructing the podcast, I made sure that you knew that they were brown girls doing this podcast without actually saying we are brown people. That was there in the content. And so when it came to putting together the entry, I knew that existed somewhere in the intro to my podcast. So I, you know, that that was handy. I could clip it out and put it in there. So deliver your USP in the entry if you can. The other thing is when you're making a podcast, so even podcasts fall into genres. So when you're making your podcast, you should be delivering on the genre expectations of that podcast. So try and include some of those things in your clips. So if you're meant to be a funny podcast, then, you know, make sure you've got funny bits in your podcast. But the most important thing I felt when I was putting together uh, my entries was delivering on emotion. And that's when you're making your podcast, you should be delivering emotions or sorry, evoking emotions is what I mean. And so for the Brown Girls Do It Too podcast, um, funny was important. So definitely have a funny clip in there. But also uh, there were moments of sadness. And I felt I'd uh, put in a clip that, you know, was sad. There was moments of regret that the girls talked about. So I put that in. There were happy moments as well. So try and deliver on emotion because I think Helen talked about how she wants to see or hear people in the entry. I think perhaps that's the way you do it by kind of playing with people's emotions in that entry. Also make sure in each clip you're doing a different thing. So if you've done the funny bit, then you don't necessarily have to do another funny bit, go with a different emotion or try and show something else in your other clips. So in the entries that I put together, regret was in there. There was a bit of empowerment in there as well in one of the clips. I, I was just going to say that there you were saying that all of your clips did certain jobs. How much of that was, I'm going to find a clip that does that? And how much was, hey, I've gone to all the clips and actually these clips do this job. Which way did you start? I went through and I found all the bits that I thought were great first. I think 
uh, I compiled about 15 really good bits, which were each of about five or six minutes long. And then it's a job of whittling them down to are they all doing different things and you know trying to do that within three minutes or so or two and a half minutes per clip something like that I don't remember exactly so you've got to whittle down the size of that clip as well and then it's really important to get your mum to listen to it because often after you've edited it it doesn't necessarily say the same thing that you thought it did at the start so does it still contain that element that made you pick it out in the first place if you have somebody who's prepared to listen to it then that's great if you don't do it yourself does it still say the same thing i wanted it to at the start and do that with your podcast as well you know generally are you saying the thing that you wanted to say is it as great as it is in your ears as it was in your head when you first envisaged it. They're all good tips. We see this a bit on on Twitter when people tag us in. If you do a show week in, week out, and so you've got over 50 episodes to try and listen to, they ask the listeners what struck them and what were good bits in their heads or things that they remembered, and then you see the tweets come back. Um, That could be quite a good way of doing it too. Or, Or what did you rush to tell someone, oh, I heard this thing on a podcast? Thank you, Helen and Rayan. Uh, if you want to listen to all of our top tips uh, and my answers to commonly asked questions about the award, uh, you can hear it on our extended version uh, for our Patreon subscribers. So why not become one of those? Just go to patreon.com slash mediapod where you can listen to that and all of our previous longer form interviews. And if you want to apply for the British Podcast Awards, just go to britishpodcastawards.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And welcome back. I've still got Liz and Matt with me to cover this week's news in brief. 
Now, last week, Amazon announced it was going to launch a new app called Amp that will give you a way to be a DJ of your own live radio shows. Um, now, Matt, you've been given your own radio show to be a DJ, not much music having to play on, on Times Radio. Um, do you think everyone should be a DJ? Do you think this is good news? <laughs> You'll be surprised how much music I manage to play on the show. If I'm, yeah, you know, absolutely. Almost every feature has some sort of musical uh, attachment to it. I was well. I read a very interesting article about this in a in an email all about uh, radio. Um, I can't remember who writes it, but anyway, it was very interesting, Matt. What you wrote about the launch of of um, and I, I what the main thing that I took away from it was you mentioned uh, Clubhouse, which I'd completely forgotten about. Despite the mm. fact we did a whole feature on the radio. Last sometime last year, I did. We we I set up a room and we got some MPs in and we talked about the way that this could change politics. And of course, it hasn't changed politics; it's just sort of disappeared. Um, what the Twitter Spaces things does seem to be, I from what I can see, some public other publishers uh seem to be using that in quite a smart way and getting several hundred people talking about uh, the bank interest rate rise and that sort of thing. But I think the key thing with those are they are expert people. Uh, you know, it's ultimately the difference between a successful podcast and an unsuccessful one. A load of people sitting around talking nonsense struggles to find a, an audience unless those people are famous. Uh, and But you need you need content. And I know from having to fill three hours every day, content is really hard. Uh, and new and original and interesting and innovative content is really difficult. So I'm not just sure that someone talking nonsense between their, their favourite songs will necessarily do it and actually the point that you made i thought was really interesting is just the the reason radio is great is because it's everywhere it's in your car it's in your kitchen you just flick it on and the idea of jumping around between platforms and apps and what do i want to listen to i think it just becomes really complicated does it, it doesn't feel like what radio is supposed to be and if i'm if i'm going on an app why wouldn't i open a podcast app and listen to a properly produced you know, piece of content rather than someone mucking about. Liz, I mean, there's a, a big question, isn't there, about democratisation of the media sometimes. And uh, there are still kind of gatekeepers to get on. I mean, this does allow anybody with the, the new AMP app to, to create a radio show. Um, I was a bit tough on it um, in, in a, a newsletter I wrote this week, as, as Matt was referring to. Um, but do you think do you think it is important to find ways that, that people can access the media um, or is it just using those people to try and to try and get downloads? I think it's great to try and open it up as much as possible. And I slightly disagree with Matt because I think it might have a different use. For example, you could have your family's radio. Um, you know, Nan's birthday sounds great to me. Get 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 her favourite, you know, old Beatles songs on and get all the grandkids ringing up. And there you've got a little radio station for your family. I think that would be absolutely great. And why not? It doesn't have to be. You know the cool outside facing, getting a big audience type of radio. You can you can have our house radio, which I think could be really nice. I'm very much in favour of breaking down the traditional gatekeepers in many ways. I mean, I started my career in the days of the bad old duopoly, really, and and it was very very difficult for say northern lower middle class working class people to to get any form of exposure, and that's why local radio is such a an amazing thing that opened everything up. And then I worked for Sky, which whatever anybody says, really did open up the, the media again then. And, and even this writing that I do, you know, I started off being very snooty about Amazon. Now I love it because my books are selling really well on it. Why, why is that? Because it's got a huge audience and the, the costs are low and they just splurge them out. And, uh, 
you know, obviously the publisher I've got is really, really good. Um, there is a publisher, but the, the access and the platforms changed everything. And again, the days of the snooty old um, publishers who only seem to um, take books that were written by their cousin's friend from Oxbridge, that's gone. Sorry, it's not all like that. Of course it's not. And of course, Nadine Doris got published some time ago. So, no, But seriously, um, I, I really do like this idea of it opening up. And, and there's nothing to lose, really. I mean, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah, really. actually, you could, you could be persuading me that you've just... All you've done is remind me that as a child, I used to, you know, cut a side out of a cardboard box and pretend I was on telly and record things on cassettes. And maybe this is just the 21st century version of that. Um, it's a way of trying out some it's stuff. It's the same thing. I mean, I, I, think, I, think, yeah. I think one of the questions that, that I have is, um, I mean, particularly in radio, and if, if you're listening to this, you might know that I have a radio background, is that there's always an assumption that radio is quite easy to do and particularly from a tech company it's been loads of examples over the years of people kind of launching things which will replace radio um, and I don't actually think radio is that complicated really you know it's about understanding your listener about making something pretty decent for them um, a, a focus, a particularly a focus on the listener and no one in the tech industry ever asks anybody in the radio sector or anybody who is an expert to help them. Because I'm sure if they did help them, they could they could deliver a pretty good a pretty good product. But I think a lot of it comes from being a listener. You, you've heard lots of radio in your life, therefore you think you know how to run a, a radio station. I mean, Matt, when you when you started your um, your Times Radio show, obviously you you've done some broadcasting before. Um, is it harder or easier than you thought it would be? Um, I would say harder but more fun. Those two things together. You're right. I mean, mostly what I'd done before was was pod, the Red Box podcast, which I was obviously doing for the Times. Which is why I think that was the reason they wanted me on the on the station. But I hadn't done any live hosting at all, presenting, um, and actually spent a lot of time before we launched that doing the thing that you were just talking about about speaking to other people in radio, whether it was. Sheila Fogarty or Chris Mason or Chris Evans or basically anyone I could find who I knew who would tell me. I mean, as it turned out, they all had completely different ways of working. And in the end, you have to slightly find your own way <laughs> and all of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think the, 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 the how you put a show together, the structure of it, you, you know, it takes you a while. It definitely took me a while to sort of find my voice. And actually, it turns out my voice is just exactly the same as it is off air because it's quite difficult to have a keep up a persona for three hours a day. Um, but also, yeah, I just think that the content is key. It's no as as charming and fascinating as I might be. Uh, I can't keep that up for three hours. You need interesting people to talk to. You need interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, you need to build up that familiarity and all of that. And I think you're completely right that the tech firms that focus on the platform, not the content. It's like it's like a newspaper going on about how they've changed the paper it's printed on well that's fine but is is the stuff i'm reading any good uh and i think that's been the um the key thing but i know i've loved loved being on the radio and actually being somewhere new where nobody says oh no we don't do it like that so like one of the things we do on a wednesday with pmqs we do pmqs unpacked and we pause it live as we go along to explain that's the reason keir starmer asked that question uh, well, he's not really answered that, has he? Well, actually, what he was referring to was this: to try and, ex you know, and actually, I think my hunch is if we try to, do, if you try to do something like that, the BBC says, "Oh no, we don't do that. We just play it out and then we analyse it afterwards." So actually, having that freedom to say, "Well, no, we're going to do this. We're going to, you know," um, has been has been uh, that's been the most fun part. But yeah, definitely harder than 
I thought it was lying in bed as a teenager listening to Chris Moyles. Uh, turns out it is quite difficult. Uh, Liz, you've worked lots of presenters um, over your time. Is there an innate skill, is there an innate talent that great presenters have or, or, or can it be learned? I think with television presenters, there is a, a sort of a characteristic that they have, which is an ability to somehow distance themselves from the fear of the camera and relate to the camera as if it's a person. Um, and I think that many presenters or would-be presenters fail from sort of overreacting to the camera and thinking, you know, I've really got to work at this. And it's somehow that slightly laid back, slightly distant. Often they're slightly quiet personalities off camera. Um, they're not the great egotistical, or egotistical is probably unfair, but they're the extroverts. They're not necessarily the extroverts. There's something about them that's slightly withdrawn with the TV presenters, I think, um, and the very, the very successful ones that I've known particularly some really amazing regional presenters like uh, Mike Neville up in the northeast, um, look north. And he was a delightful man, but very quiet and unassuming off camera, but somehow able to twinkle to the camera in a way that more extrovert people who would twinkle off camera couldn't, just looked ludicrous when they were on camera. Um, with radio, I think that um, there is this thing about men on radio, you know, why are so many men on radio? Because they love hearing the sound of their own voice. I think that's a bit mean. But you do, <laughs> you do tend to get a lot of, of men on radio and some of them crash and burn. The ones that succeed are the ones that are well informed. I mean, James O'Brien and Nick Ferrari, whatever you think of their politics, they're extremely well informed um, so that they can always come back at the listener with real information and so there's a proper dialogue I don't like this sort of making fun of the dumb taxi driver that's you know rung in that you get on some radio stations but when you get an intelligent dialogue between the presenter and, and the public it's it's really unbeatable it's very very good but the presenter has to really know the stuff well let's see how much stuff you both know as we turn to uh, this week's immediate quiz which is entitled fond farewells uh, I'll provide three headlines where there's been rumours um, that we're saying goodbye to a show or product. You just tell me whether it's true or false. It's very easy this week. We're looking for true or false. Three rounds. Buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So Matt will say... Matt. And Liz will say... Liz. <laughs> Let's play Fond Farewells. Um, okay, Twitter is saying goodbye to its timeline algorithm. Is that true or false? Matt. True. Oh, <laughs> oh Matt, Matt uh, buzzed in first. Uh, is it true I was or false? Say, I, well, I'm going to say true in that case. Uh, well, you'd be wrong to say it's oh! true because it's false. The social media platform uh, announced it would be introducing a new timeline algorithm to push users to view the greatest tweets before the latest tweets. However, due to user outrage, it's been rolled back. Uh, so uh, they won't be uh, saying goodbye to its timeline algorithm. Uh, Matt, uh, you, you must be a big Twitter user. Um, which do you prefer, greatest tweets or latest tweets? Latest. Always latest. Because if they're that good, they'll turn up in latest because other people will be retweeting it. I don't need... And actually, it's weird. Yeah. So, particularly if I'm on air and I'm looking at Twitter, I don't want to be seeing something that and thinking, oh, is that new? And actually, it's something from 14 hours ago because someone I know liked it back then so yeah oh wait that's the whole point of twitter it's a it's a news ticker service when we teach journalism one of the sort of ways you get people into it early on is to say the simple thing about news is that it's new true and interesting everyone wants something new so i think it was quite madness to turn it around into the greatest not the latest uh, okay question number two uh commode and mayo's bbc radio five live film show is coming to an end true or false 
Matt. True, Liz, true. True. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll take this one from Liz. Uh, true or false? <laughs> it's true. They are leaving. Yeah, they say they'll be back, but they're leaving. The show's going to end uh, on the BBC on April the first after twenty-one years. I mean, that's not a bad run for a, a radio idea, is it? Uh, the, a film review for twenty-one years. They've done a pretty good job of that. If I could stay on the radio for 21 years doing the same thing, I'd be very happy. We look forward to that. I'll only be 92. <laughs> um, but also lots of rumours that they will go somewhere else, whether it will be a podcast or it will pop up on a uh, on another channel. So, um, uh, Matt, where do you think we'll, we'll see the, the lads appear? Well, I mean, Simon May seems to be all over at Bauer Station, whether it's Scala and Greatest Hits. So, I mean... It, as is, Mark, I think Mark Mode was also doing something on Scala as well. So, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if that's where they ultimately ended up. But I mean, I think crucially, they are a. It's a radio show which is bigger as a podcast. People who I know mm. who listen to it, it's a, it's a hugely successful podcast. And actually, I suspect they, knowing some other people who work on some of the BBC's uh, more successful podcasts, but feel a bit unloved. Uh, because, you know, they're long-standing, they've got a massive audience, uh, but they don't get promoted on the 10 o'clock news and they don't get, you know, all the razzle-medazzle of Gemma Collins, whatever it might be. So, it, yeah, that, it's a great niche. It's got, you know, a shelf life. Um, it's uh, So, yeah, I, but I, I, my, I would be amazed if they don't turn up at Bauer in some form. Uh, okay, final question. Here we go. Uh, true or false, uh, the BuzzFeed news app is going away. Liz, True. Uh, it is true. Yes, the award-winning news app is going to be shut down, uh, but you'll still be able to find BuzzFeed news stories in uh, their main app uh, and also in the, the daily newsletter. Um, I mean, Liz, this is a, a switch from kind of like being sort of non-stop news to, to maybe having a bit of a think, you know, more newsletter type um, focus. Um, do you think that that's right for them? I don't know. I feel very uncomfortable about it, having read about it. I'm not sure why they're doing this, because they go on in their publicity about it, saying how fantastic the news feed was, and then say, but we're scrapping it. And I, I don't get quite why it's happening. Is it a cost thing? Is it the fact that news coverage is very expensive and doing it well is even more expensive? Um, they do do it well. I, I, I just don't really get what this is about, because they're not, it seems to me, on the face of it, providing, say, the in-depth coverage of something like The Week. That, that you'd need to make up for the lack of the newsfeed. Matt, you've, uh, you're a, a big fan of newsletters uh, with, with, with Redbox. They've been around forever, but are they, are they still the future? I think it's really interesting. I think BuzzFeed have just never quite worked out, and I know they've been through various iterations and ownerships, never quite worked out what they are. Because uh, uh, I was sort of, um, I remember, you know, obviously, but there was, it was all about, you know, which friend's character are you, you know, quizzes, that sort of viral content and all of that, you know, 10 amazing faces from Legally Blonde or whatever it might be. And then they sort of moved into journalism <laughs> and they got, you know, staff in, they, working in, uh, in the lobby in Westminster, doing really interesting journalism. But it was never quite sure how a sort of 3,000 word profile on George Freeman sat alongside which friend's character are you? And then they had this sort of incredible investigations unit as well. And then they realised... The and I think the problem is, I remember when I worked at Mail Online, as a political editor there at Mail Online, and I would sometimes pitch an idea or a story or a treatment or something, and said, oh, we don't do that. You know, we don't do lists of things or whatever. And there was a very clear set, and you can say whether or not you like, you know, Mail Online, but successful products, probably across all types of media, are very clear about what they're about. 
And I think when BuzzFeed tried to get serious and do news, the people who liked it for the fun were a bit like, well, what's this? Uh, and then, but they weren't getting a news audience because they were known for the fun. And I just, and I think this feels like another iteration of we're not quite sure what what we're about. Um, in a way that other successful, both sort of heritage, uh, traditional you know brands like the Times or you know newer media startups, that you need a clear sense of what you're all about. And I think I don't think they know what that is. Uh, well, we're definitely all here for the fun, uh, but I think that crowns Liz just about the winner. I might need to go and review the scores to make ab- absolutely sure. Um, that's our show for today. Where well, thanks to Matt Chorley and Liz Howell. Uh, Matt, where can listeners find you and tune into your show? Yes, I'm on Times Radio Monday to Thursday, 10 to 1. You can get it on DAB, Smart Speaker app and at times.radio it's available as the times red box podcast as well and i'm still touring the country on my stand-up tour so you can find tickets on mattjolly.com and liz where can people discover the adventures of your podcast producer sleuth <laughs> well first of all i'd like to say i'm amazed that matt is still standing up in his stand-up after that very exhausting <laughs> schedule my new book is called the judge at st james and it's the fourth in the susie spencer series it's published by joffy you get it on amazon for 99p and i tell you what it's really worth it but i would say that <laughs> one now. Thank you, Matt and Liz. Uh, And if you stay with us right through to that, uh, we hope that you love the show. Uh, So why not become a patron of it? Uh, Just go and sign up at patreon.com slash mediapod. That's patreon.com slash mediapod. Plus, if you've just dropped on this episode and you haven't subscribed yet, uh, you can subscribe or follow this podcast uh, in all those great podcast apps of choice, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts uh, my name is matt deegan the producer was phoebe adler ryan with support from matt hill it was a rethink audio production see you next week even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.